can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds podcast. I'm Ryan and I'm joined by the other nerds, Christina, Carissa, and Matt. Together we take on the week's comics. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers for the books we talk about. If you don't want to hear any spoilers, take a break now and go read your books, and then come back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book of the week, and that's our pick of the week. That week, I'm that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Southern Bastards number 11. Um, This week was kind of a crazy week. Uh, Marvel dropped all of their, not all, but... A lot of their new books uh, came out. Image had a lot of books out as well. Um, so my my pull list was crazy. Um, but I read uh, a, a lot, a lot of comics. Um, there were a lot of them that I liked. Um, but at the end of the day, the one that I enjoyed the most was definitely uh, Southern Bastards number 11. Um, it's by Image Comics. It's written by Jason Aaron, um, art by Jason Latour. Um and the reason that I chose this for the pick is that I, I feel that this book is such a strong use of characters and place um, that when you have setting in a book, the reason you choose to set something somewhere should be just as important as near the actual characters. Right? There should be a reason why a book happens in New York or in Alabama or San Diego, whatever. There's a reason why you set the, the story there. And in this case, the setting is just as much of a character as um, any of the, the bastards that we've been introduced to. Um, and in this one, we meet a new bastard. Um, we've heard talked about a little bit, um, but we haven't really met before. Um, and I think that this character intro is probably one of the strongest that I've seen in a, in a very long time. Um, we get really striking visuals uh, of the, the character. Um, we get a lot of contrast with him. There's things about him that are good. There's things about him that are bad. Um, so he's, it's not a simple tale. Um, nothing in Southern Bastards is, is simple. Um, that's one thing that Jason Aaron does really well is he'll introduce you to a bastard and you'll see the story from their point of view. Um, and then you'll, after that arc is done, you'll switch to another character and you'll see things from their point of view. Um, and a lot of them you never end up really liking, um, but you can't really hate them as much as you did in the previous arc because you understand them. Um, that to me is really similar to the way that um, Game of Thrones does things. Um, although these books really could not be more different from medieval fantasy to, uh, you know, Rock County, Alabama are, are completely different places, but um, that change in perspective of who your character is and who the heroes and villains are um, reminded me a lot of that. Um, I thought uh, the writing was, was very strong. Um, the, there's a scene in there where, uh, where Deacon uh, goes to hunt down uh, basically a, a child rapist um, with his, his bow um, and to me, that that whole scene uh, with you know the arrow in the tire um, and that confrontation on the road with the the deer staring at him while he was killing the person was just spectacular. Um, and then we also get uh, really great scenes where you've got him in that 
whole scene that I was talking about there, protecting a child, but we also have a scene in a church with, um, you know, Holy Roller, born-again fundamentalist Christians handling serpents, and a child gets bit, um, and he basically stops the, the church from being able to help the kid um, because that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't prove his faith. Um, so you've got what I thought cast him in kind of a negative light in that he's willing to let people suffer for his, his faith, but his faith also prompts him to protect others. So it's not so simple. Um, after that scene with him killing that person, he then takes that body out to the river um, and dumps their body there. And you can see there are lots of bodies that he's, he's dumped there. Um, and that's been mentioned throughout the, the series. Um, so again, you can see, and he, he's working for, um, for Coach Boss, who's essentially the villain of the story, but the last arc was about Coach Boss, and you come to understand his, why he's the way he is and why he does what he does. So before the Coach Boss uh, arc, I hated that bastard. After it, I still hate him, but I kind of respect him in a way. Um, so that's, to me, the real strength of Southern Bastards is that it's drawing all these characters together, like putting them on like freight trains on rails that are all headed towards the same same junction. There's going to be a crash. Um, that's going to be the homecoming week when everything comes to a head. Um, and I, I really like the characterization. I like the sense of place that it gives you. I, I really enjoyed it very much. Um, did anybody else read Southern Bastards 11? I did. Uh, this is Matt. Um, it was interesting. Uh, I kind of... I understand your viewpoint of the kind of the switch between him going and doing something like killing somebody to get back at them for um, you know their their acts against children but then letting the snakes bite the other child but I think in the mindset of of, of those sort of people and I think those are Pentecostals he's doing the same thing in both cases he's protecting that child by letting the snake bite him he believes that if he were to stop it or uh, you know, do something along those lines. He's denying that child a chance to show his faith. So he's protecting the child by allowing the child to show his faith um, by, you know, believing that the snake's not going to kill him. I, I did find it a little creepy towards the end because the kid looks insane and he's got, like, the yellow eyes because he's obviously been poisoned by a rattlesnake. Um, or, well, venomized? Yeah. <laughs> Poison would be if he ate some people. Um, yeah, I think he would be, I think he's doing the same thing in both cases. He's, he's being a, a good person to the way he thinks good people are, right? He, he's right. protecting the children in both cases. It's just that the acts that he takes to somebody outside of that are reprehensible, technically reprehensible in, in other cases. So I don't know that I would go any different. Um, you know the the bow part, um, but he he's doing that, I think, to be that protective person. There's a uh, there's a part in there where he talks about, you know, it took us, uh, you know, forty five minutes to figure out who did it, and it took me, you know, forty five seconds to figure out what to do about it. Um, that whole thing really reminded me. There's a scene 
way back in Preacher, where uh, Jesse basically finds this person who was a uh, a Nazi, um, and you know the Nazi at the end starts to like beg him for forgiveness, and he tosses him basically a noose uh, and tells him that there's only only one way to make up for your sins, and leaves him there to hang himself, which he does. Right. Spoiler. <laughs> um, Spoilers. So I, I don't know that that really. Those two scenes um, really reminded me a lot of each other. Um, and then there's just some images in here that are just awesome. There's that uh, that red image of the deer with the, like the blood draining from its uh, down its face that was just really really striking. Um, there's that scene in the end where he's kneeling with all the the serpents on him. I mean that's like straight out of like a medieval like passion play or. Uh, yeah, it's a very visceral book. Yes. Well, that's you, – you, this book, I always say that it, with this book, you can feel like the sweat dripping down the back of your neck. You can, you know, you can like taste the barbecue that they're eating. Like this book plunges you right into that world, and it seems very, very real. Yeah, I was kind of on the edge of that world. never went really that far south, and I never, ever wanted to <laughs> – like I want to drive around it. Even yeah, a few hundred miles. Like, well, I, that's kind. Of, go ahead. Uh, same that. I've never actually, you know, like I said, I never read the series, so coming in right in this issue was very. I wasn't sure what to expect. It had. I don't know if it's maybe it's an image thing, and I'm projecting into it, but kind of had the pacing and the feel of like the early Walking Dead when it first started, and also the artwork really kind of reminded me of that at first. And I don't know. If I'm just putting that in there, but that's what I—that's what I originally took from it. I'm like, this really reminds me of The Walking Dead for some reason. <laughs> well, I think um, I mean I chose this, even though this book is in the the middle. Um, I felt that this was a good jumping-on point because you're being introduced to a, a new bastard who will be drawn into the larger story, but this story stands completely on its own. Like you could hand someone this issue. They've never read an issue of Southern Bastards, and they never read another issue, and they have a essentially a complete story in their hands. Yeah, uh, it was definitely a, an encapsulated story. Yeah. And I mean, uh, like the art, like the people look so – like it's like they're chiseled out of rock, you know? Like these are hard people who have had hard lives where they show like the people with like, you know, rheumatoid arthritis and like bent over and like – I mean you can see the hard living on them. Like the art's not the people are not pretty, but they they seem real even though they're not like photorealistic, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the the creators either are from the south or they've done a. Or they, done they are both from the south. Um, Jason Aaron, um, usually in the back of image books, um, I don't know if this is like a new image thing or just all the writers tend to think this way. You usually get an essay. Um, and Jason Aaron, in one of the issues, right after all the stuff, that horrible shooting in South Carolina and with the Confederate flag and all that, he wrote a really pretty awesome essay uh, in the back um, called uh, Long Live the South, Death of the Flag. Um, and the cover of the book is like a pit bull, like tearing up the Confederate flag, which like for somebody from the South to put that image on their book, like – there, he's working through some issues here about the South, you know, because like there are things about here that are are strong and proud, and that he clearly 
admires, but there are things that are horrible as well. So I think, you know, like, like a lot of good artists, I mean, he's working through something here. I mean, I think in my opinion that he's, you know, exercising the, the demons of the South, you know, and putting his, his thoughts into kind of a, a catharsis. But that was, so that, that book was my pick of the week. Um, the next uh, book was also from Image, uh, and this is uh, Paper Girls number one um, from Image by Brian K. Vaughn, uh, art by Cliff Chang. Uh, Carissa? Yeah, so Paper Girls. I, as everyone, uh, well, as you soon will learn and those who are talking know, I'm a huge Brian K. Vaughn fan. Um, so I was really looking forward to this. And what I really like is it's set in a, maybe it's just that I'm the demographic, but it's set in a time period where I grew up so I can really relate to the time period and, you know, being a girl, but it's like that typical coming of age type of story, you know, like any classic, like the Goonies, Stand By Me, um, but really what I thought it felt like was Super 8, J.J. Abrams movie, it has that kind of kids and something else supernatural happening, um, and I can't help it, but Mackenzie really reminds me of Gert. And I don't know if that's because I'm really looking for Gert because it's his class, that his character that I like the most. But she definitely had that feel for me. And she's also right now, she's currently my favorite of the Paper Girls. I don't know which one you guys have a favorite of, but I really like Mackenzie. <laughs> and um, the ending really like surprised me. <laughs> like, what? Where's that going with that? How do you get that? <laughs> Why I really that ending to me was really very was striking. It was not what I was expecting at all. Yeah. You know, which is good stories do that. They take turns and twists that you don't see coming, and when they happen, you realize like, well, that's how it had to happen. You know? Yeah. yeah. I agree. It makes total sense that Apple will turn everybody into weird mutant androids and send them into the past. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of hoping that there'd be a key to decipher that weird language somewhere hidden in here, but I didn't see it, and I kept looking for it. We'll get to cracking. Yeah, and then, you know... Well, that gives you... When they do have that, then you can go back and decipher what they're saying, and I'm sure it will all make even more more sense, (laughs) you know? The one panel, though, with Mackenzie saying what happened, what happened after she threw up and she was being choked, though, I feel like there's more going on there than you realize yet at the time because it just it's her face is drawn in a completely different way the text is different and i'm just like so i think but then you get distracted by the, it moving forward and you don't really know what's happening so i'm like what's going on and i'm totally signing up for the the thing in the back for my membership card i think you all should do the same <laughs> i was just, just gonna say that because i wonder if that's how you get the code me yeah that's what i was thinking like it has to be something so I was going to put that in the mail. You know, I hadn't thought about the connection to, to Gert that you mentioned from Runaways, mm-hmm. but I think characters have, or writers have like archetypes that they go back to. So I think that that probably is that same kind of archetype that we're, we're seeing. And, and he's been on panels before where he's had basically said Gert is his female version of himself. Yeah. So for that to reoccur would make sense if that, in that regard. He's writing himself as a woman. Yeah. 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 Because I, I he has the same kind papers. of look in the, in the weird colored hair and just, it just seems very Gert-esque. See, I've only ever 
read uh, Y and uh, Ex Machina. Mm -hmm. So I've, I think I've read maybe two issues of Runaways. So uh, but I don't know if he was doing them at the time. So you have some homework to do. <laughs> you, yeah. I need more of that. You need uh, you not, hey. like the first maybe two trades. Like there's a point where he drops off Runaways and then it's just a comic book. Um, but when he's on it, it's spectacular. Yeah. There's also Saga that's also out right now. It's on. Yeah, I was gonna say he's, yeah. he's is Matt just admitting he's never read Saga and we all have to shove it down his throat right now. Yeah. No, he said <laughs> Runaways. Did you not read Saga either? No, I don't even know what it is. Oh wow! <gasps> oh. Her runaways. I've only read a couple issues. Heresy. So, <laughs> like the new Runaway series that's out right now does not do the original Runaways justice. I I liked so in the new man we're we're jumping around here but in the new the new oh, ways, I know imagine that a tangent <laughs> I really like the thing with the the girl gang with like the leather jackets that they had in the new Runaways I I thought that was pretty cool other than that it was pretty standard but I thought that little element was really cool with uh, you know Molly wanting to get the jacket then she got the jacket at the end and that was to me the highlight of it but um, it was it was definitely different you know. Not as strong as the original Runaways, of course, but see, but is it? I don't know. I think we're all around the same age, so but like the time period of this of Paper Girls, I'm just like, hey, look at those posters hanging up. You well, know, look at the, she's a Monster Squad poster in her room. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. When I when I was reading girl. Southern Bastards and Paper Girls together, I was thinking about the both of them. They both nail a time and a place. Like, there's a reason that story is set where it's set and when it's set. You know that that you is just such a character. Go ahead. You guys did see there's there's times that are listed in here, right? Like those time periods. It's like it's the late eighties. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it is absolutely when we were kids. This yeah, is like nineteen eighty eight, November first, right there on the. Yeah. Car. I was like, this is like, I mean, I was eight. <laughs> Oof. So you had been a little. <laughs> I like what they say. They're twelve, right? One yeah. Of right. Twelve. So I was like, what ten? So I'm like, that's like right in my wheelhouse, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really easy to relate. And so I think it might be harder for people who aren't as familiar with that time period and to relate to them. But I think especially yeah. for me, it made it the story work even more. And I also think that Brian K. Vaughn has a knack for writing children really well. Mm -hmm. um, like he chose, uh, he made choices in here where kids say awful things to each other that are just, they're very shocking now, but like, I barely remember 1988. Well, yeah, I guess maybe I've outgrown saying awful things. things to people, unless I'm really mad. Um, but, but I thought that that was, that was pretty brave because like it, it like definitely lands them in a time period. Yeah. Where but like not, the, not only just yeah, the time period, her point saying those words would will affect that particular person. Yes. Is so right on. Like, yeah, there are things that you shouldn't say, but to know that that's what's going to get to that type of person and under their skin and be effective is totally legit. So I thought that, like, that choice of, like, that moment of dialogue, it, like, it set the time period. It told us, you know, really that they're children, but it also shows that person is insightful, you know, that she understands people. Um, so, I mean, that was just a pretty inspired bit of writing right there. Yeah, if, if I hadn't chosen um, 
this is true for a lot of books this week, but if I hadn't chosen Southern Bastards, Paper Girls probably would have been uh, my pick. Either that or the next one, which is uh, Doctor Strange number one from Marvel Comics, uh, also by Jason Aaron and art by Chris uh, Bacalo. Uh, Matt? See, ironically enough, I never pay attention to who creates these things unless it's just kind of pops out at me. Oh, no, it's like a Jason Aaron week. Like half, like our picks is like more, it's like three or so. Yeah, there's, when we get to Star Wars later, that's also written by Jason Aaron. So. Son of a bitch. I I did not do that intentionally. (laughs) Well, when I was making the list, um, I was like, hmm, Jason Aaron. Then I started typing in, I'm like, huh, my computer is auto-completing this. This is weird. This keeps happening. Well, I'm representing, I'm representing, I'm representing the British. I've got Karen Gillen in both of mine. Yes, I noticed that too. <laughs> yeah, so we had a lot of a lot of people are having like their creative, uh, the epic, the the peak of their, you know. Well, I hope not the peak. I hope we're, yeah. we're on the ascent. You know, I don't want this to be the end of their creative greatness. But we're definitely <laughs> seeing these guys appeared on this podcast. There they go. <laughs> yeah, uh, the curse of death. I, <laughs> I hope not. So, Do- Doctor Strange. <laughs> All right. Doctor Strange was interesting. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I hate Marvel and their inability to make decisions. Um, so it's a good book. It just kind of picks up like it's just them starting up a new Doctor Strange book. I'm really, really confused by the whole Secret Wars ending thing. One hundred. So, I, I liked how they did this. Um, I, I, I liked the, how he kind of kept his motif of his costume, but he just kind of shifted it around into his, his clothing, like his street clothes and whatnot. Um, I don't know that they've got anybody who actually understands uh, any sort of anything about occultism or, or magic doing these books, and I always feel that that's a problem, uh, specifically when doing Doctor Strange. So, like, you'd need somebody who knew something about, like, at least, like, uh, esotericism, uh, you know, a left-hand path, Wiccanism, uh, chaos magic, or something like that, doing anything with Constantine, doing anything with, like, the Dark uh, Justice League, um, anything like that. You need somebody who actually understands that and isn't just looking something up on Wikipedia. And I'm just not getting that from this writer. You need a guy with a creepy it, beard? It seems like you read a whole lot of Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah. Because it just seems like a Marvel book. I was really confused with the timing of the end of Secret Wars and the beginning of these uh, new books. Yeah, so... That's, that's killing me. <laughs> it really is. More issues. I'm not sure where this is in time and space. And, you know? and it literally just picks up. Yeah. And I'm like... um. Okay, well, last time I saw Doctor Strange, he was working with uh, Doom, and uh, and now he's not. And uh, he looks younger. And he's but, wearing but, but the first again. page has all the old kind of artwork kind of panels behind it, so maybe they're trying to show a separation then from Secret Wars, and they're going back to showing, no, this is actual Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah, I... I... But that was the other thing. Is, I think I that's know that it's supposed to be like the Doctor Strange from the 616, but is this one? 
that that's one of the things that's bugging me is I'm like, which Doctor Strange is this? I thought that was a pretty clever way to basically show his origin story, but not actually have to tell his origin story. You know what I mean? Like, we get him talking about something else over the old panels of him, you know, out in the Himalayas and, you know, the accident. Um, so I thought that was really clever. You know, that was a really efficient way to tell a story. Yeah. Um, one thing I didn't realize until I looked at your list, and it was something that was bugging me the entire time I was reading it, was the art. Yeah. I hate Chris Bacallo. <laughs> I hate him so much. And it, it's one thing that bugged me. I do like the him hanging out in the magic bar. That was fun. But the art in this book is just... It's so chunky. It, it's like not Doctor Strange. And I don't like it. But that's probably because I can't really think of anything I'd like Chris Bacallo doing. Though I've met him. I gave him a spork. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought the art was kind of otherworldly and not really representative necessarily, but more like, I don't know, symbolic imagery. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I wasn't... Okay. He's just not what I would put on Doctor Strange. And, and I can't really think of anywhere to put him. Okay. He's not like the worst artist ever. It's not like he's Joe Majura or Rob Liefeld. <laughs> he's just not something I like to look at. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are books um, this week that I read that were okay, but that I uh, just did not on a aesthetic or personal level like. So, I mean, there's between quality and taste, you know, and I think this isn't bad quality, but it may not be your taste necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I think. I just, this bugs me, but it, it probably won't bug a lot of people because he's rich and I'm not. And he's been doing this for like twenty years, and I haven't. So, uh, Christina, you brought up the uh, the Brits. Um, yes. Darth Vader, uh, Darth Vader number ten uh, from Marvel Comics. I, Kieran <laughs> Gillen, uh, are by uh, Salvador Larocca. All right. Am I not going to get that for the whole thing? That <laughs> 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 you don't have to do that. It, it helps. It helps. Um, this, I really, I really enjoyed this issue. I really, really enjoyed this issue, except for it felt like it was dragging in one point. So I'll, I'll kind of go over the issue and I'll tell you where it's dragging because I'm going to kind of just go right over it. So okay. Do- Dr. Agfra is um, Darth Vader's right-hand woman at this point. Um, she's kind of her, you need something done, I do it for you. Um, she is sent to question a very interesting person um, that is part of the history of the prequels, unfortunately. Um, She is sent to question basically the mortician of Queen Amidala uh, to find out what happened to her body. Um, There are some, which is totally spoiler alert, but I guess who cares, right? Uh, hey, we, we warned him. We warned him. Yeah, we were, we're you've, been warned. you've been warned. Um, her hologram, which I guess is what, you know, her representation still showed that she was pregnant. Um, but there's always been suspicion that, you know, 
something may have happened. Uh, and this guy, Commodex uh, Tan, uh, is the, the person who actually did the full, you know, body burial, all that good stuff. Uh, so she is sent to question him using her, her trusty droids uh, to actually even torture him a little bit to get an answer. Um, and she does get an answer. Uh, he lets her know that there was a son that was born um, out of her body, uh, but it was taken away and he doesn't know any sort of information after that, basically what happened to her uh, or to him, I should say. Um, but it, obviously there was only mention of one child. Um, spoiler alert, if you haven't read or know anything about Star Wars. Uh, um, this was but... Star Wars. You <laughs> what is Sounds Star fascinating. Wars? Continue. <laughs> what is this Star Wars? Uh, so basically that's the whole, the whole preface of this book is we're to find out, you know, there is a child that exists. Um, the part of the story that I didn't particularly, it, it kind of seemed confusing was they were trying to give some of her backstory about who she is and why she's like that. I don't feel that what they gave us was enough. I mean, they say that she, you know, she was able to fight off people and protect some of her family, but I just, I didn't feel like the way that they did it was, it was just her speaking it. I would have almost liked to have seen something. It's a comic book for God's sakes. I don't know why you didn't actually show yeah. just, I, I, wait, wait I, are you saying you can show both art and words at the same time yes, I would actually switch time and perspective and location very yes. easily this is amazing yes. and it, 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 it sequentially yes let's not get crazy I felt I, I mean I don't know who I mean is it the artist is it the writer in the case who decided not to do this but I felt that they really lost out on capturing who she is. Because we know she's a badass. But we, I mean, her telling the story is, why, why aren't we getting like a little bubble off to the side, showing yeah. her at a, at a young child's age, showing what she did and seeing her mother, you know, laying dying, basically. I mean, it's, 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 I know it's supposed to, you know, give you the backstory and make you go, oh my gosh, this is why who she is. But this is a visual medium. Why Why are we using it? We just got panels of her sitting for like three, four pages. I, mean, I could have felt it was answering a question that didn't need to be asked. Like, I love this character. I yeah. love the evil Indiana really Jones, cool. basically. She exactly. Really cool. like, of she all the new awesome characters character. introduced, I think she's really cool. And I would like yeah. to know better. I have all the new ones out. But, but it's also the story, when she was telling the story, she was being kind of insincere. She was saying, oh, it was like this, and then it was not like this. And so maybe they weren't showing it because they were trying to show her, like, distance from it. But, yeah, I understand, like, they should, if they want to build on the character, they should show more. Exactly. I would have liked to have seen a little, I mean, her saying it, yeah, sure, we all know it, but I wanted to see it. And maybe, maybe there's even a part where she's actually not even telling the whole story. And we could see it in the artwork. I, yeah. I just feel it's a, miss, a missed opportunity in this case. Um, I mean, overall, I still liked I still liked the story because I was still was excited that we got, you know, to hear little pieces of, oh, yeah, that there was a son, there was a child. Um, and at, basically at the end of the story, um, she goes back and tells Vader, you know, this is this is what I, I this is what I know. Um, this is all we could find out. 
Um, well, she also the, didn't try to look for anything else. She just, she's very, yeah. I did what you told me to, to the exactly. exact extent letter that you said. I did, I did my job. Do you need, <laughs> and at the end, she's like, do you need anything else? And I loved the line at the end of the story from Vader was, I have oh, no fears. He suspects nothing. I was like, that was awesome. That was a great way to end the book. And then you also see over his shoulder that little camera. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, Darth Vader is, this book is really, is great from a story perspective, but I think most striking is like a character design perspective. I mean, you've got Darth Vader, right? One of the most iconic, striking, strongest characters in cinema history. And you've got not just one, two, or three, or even four. You've got all of these new characters that can stand with him, are compelling, are mm-hmm. fascinating. They're, they're a lot of cases they're like a dark mirror of characters we know, but they're not derivative. Exactly. Um, I mean, it's just super strong design work. It is, I think, of all the Star Wars books, probably the strongest in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I Vader out of all of them, I think Vader is going is by far the best out of them right now. Yeah. Uh, well, that kind of leads to the most Go like, single. Well, it's not single phrase either. It's the most direct. The other Star Wars book is kind of all over the place. I also have issues with the other yeah. Star Wars book just because I really don't like a certain character in it right now. And it covers uh, my whole thing. Yes. Hey, this, this brings us right into Star Wars number 10. <laughs> one of the four Star Wars books that came out this week. When I was talking about it being a, a crazy week, you know, we used to just, you know, get maybe a Star Wars book a month if we were lucky. This week we had four Star Wars books. Um, that's, Leia and Lando come out too? Uh, Leia is over and was terrible. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I, just, yeah, I, I did not reading. like Leia. I stopped I like after. I didn't play. I it. was not a fan of Leia. I kept reading Leia out of obligation, basically, because uh, <laughs> I wanted, I wanted, you know, I wanted to see how the story was interesting, you know, ended, but I had no interest in how they were telling it or even really what the story was. Um, yeah, I kept, you know, hoping it was going to get better, and it really didn't. Um, like there was one brief little shining moment in Leia they kind of brought up the fact that she's basically a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an aspect I hadn't really thought about her, but then they just dropped it. Um, but I, uh, I, I felt that they just made that book just to be like, here you guys go. Here's your token Leia book. Yeah. We're going to give you some stuff. That's not really great, but here you go. But we yeah. made a Leia yeah. book. But yeah, Don't Sonic, say we- Sonic go away. <laughs> She's like she looks like Michonne, and I think she'd been fine as like a girlfriend, jaded kind of, (laughs) but not as like a wife-ish, whatever she's gonna be. Internet banter about it? Not really. Don't mess with Han. That's all I have to say. (laughs) What is that guy's name? Uh, Han Solo? No, 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 no. Luke. Oh, oh. Um, yeah, the, I've, the I've thought that too. Oh, I bet that's Han Solo's child. Yeah, I thought I've that was that in too. Shattered Empires that was supposed to be the... Maybe, I don't know. Um, so, uh, to answer your question, yes, Lando came out this week. Lando is pretty fucking awesome. Um, but it's not one of the ones... We only had so many to pick this week, so... Um, 
Star Wars number 10, also by Marvel Comics, also by Jason Aaron. Number um, nine. Art... What's that? Um, look at... Oh, right. You're number 10. You're right. Sorry. Star Wars 10? <laughs> I can't read number 10. No, Leave me alone. I'm made to list. I believe you you will find it exactly number 11. Star Wars number 10. It will yeah, go up yeah. to 11 in a few weeks. <laughs> uh... Written by Jason all Aaron, by Stuart Eminem, all the way up to 11. <laughs> I, I am actually loving this kind of renaissance of Star Wars books. I tried reading the original Marvel, like, I don't know, you can't really call it Extended Universe, but the, the original Marvel Star Wars run from the 70s, and I, I couldn't get it past an issue past the telling of Star Wars, because they just didn't know what they were doing. And and they had Howard Shaken in like his first book, and it was so so bad. Well, good. Th- Howard Shaken has gotten a hell of a lot better. <laughs> yes, his art has gotten better, but the writer and I can't remember who the writer was, but oh my god, it was horrible. They they didn't know like the right terms for things, so they were just throwing in some stuff that seemed like Stan Lee was writing it. Well, I mean, think about it. They probably got pulled into a book about a kids' movie that came out over the summer that they didn't think was probably going to be anything. So, and there really, I don't think there'd probably been enough time to understand what it was, you know? Well, We've had it, whole lives Star Wars. Marvel Comics weren't exactly gold in 1977. <laughs> I mean, they're not... Everybody talks about how great Marvel is and how great the Silver Age was. Have you read it? I, I read the first, like, ten years of Fantastic Four, it's painful. I I have the uh, I think it's called Marvel Essentials, which are basically the black and white reprints um, of like Avengers and Fantastic Four and all of that. And I wanted to experience you know experience it for myself and see like the greatness. And when you read it, it's it's bad. It's horrible. It's misogynistic. Like the Seuss cannot write. Well, I mean, you just take Jack Kirby's art and put your name on it, and bam. That's what he did. Uh, yeah. Jack Kirby, he's like, hey, this is kind of the story I'd like to tell. And Kirby's like, okay, well, I'll go write a story. You go put some words on it. Stan put some words on it, and bam. That was Marvel Comics for ten years. Like, I was... The Spider-Man everybody loves was not Stan Lee. It was Steve Ditko. I mean, we got to give some credit to being the original vision of, of the, the characters. Like, they're creators, yeah, but they... Give it to yeah. Jack Kirby. But they were... I don't think they... I mean, some of it's, it's dated. It hasn't aged very well. Um, like, especially if you go back and read, like, Fantastic Four, where they have, like, uh, the Invisible Woman. Um, was horrific. Girl at the time? Oh, she, she probably was. She was, like, not even the honor of being, like, a secretary. Like, she was just, go fetch she was my, a dame. go invisibly. They called her a dame. Yeah, go invisibly fetch my coffee so I don't even have to look at you. Like, it was. Yeah, and the, it was oh, let's do these three pages of her walking through town invisible so that we can remember why she's around. Oh, by the way, she can't do anything besides turn invisible. Oh, now she can turn invisible or make a force field. She can't do both. Oh, no, no. Don't give her useful powers. <laughs> we can't have... <laughs> we can't have women doing things, people. That's... Next, they're going to want a boat. Eventually, they're going to work and work in offices outside of the home. It's just... It's going to be bad. <laughs> And you realize that Jean Grey is essentially the invisible girl who can't turn invisible. And I, I say this 
talking to at least one person who has a bitch planet tattoo. So uh, this isn't just, <laughs> but. <laughs> Anyways, back to Star Wars. So when last we left our heroes, Star Wars books is really really good. It's filling out the universe, and uh, they pretty much put the stamp saying that this is actually canon. Yes. Yes. So like, <laughs> talk your way out of it now, Disney. Um, but I, I'm I'm loving it. I, I like the new books. I like how they're filling out the world. Um, they're kind of keeping some stuff like that one uh, Leia book aside. They had that one character who was like the other last survivor of Alderaan that, that like went with her. Yeah, in some of the Dark Horse stuff. She's a member of what became Rogue Squadron. Or okay. Was Rogue Squadron? I can't remember. But she's in those books. So it's like they're, they actually are picking and choosing some stuff to keep. They're picking. Well, I choosing to feel the wrong stuff. Well, the well, the inspector, the the inspector kind of like SS agent from uh, Darth Vader. That's not an original character. He's from the extended universe. The guy with the the, the monocle the, and sweet stash. Monopoly guy. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> The guy in the beginning of the, this last book. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I like him. He's like a Sherlock Holmes, but in Star Wars. Like a Moriarty? Like Moriarty. Yeah. Well, he's not really doing Moriarty things. He's tell, He's like, oh, I can see that you were on this uh, this moon there. How weird. It kind of reminds me of Columbo in a way. You know? Yeah, it's like, just Moriarty. one more question. <laughs> Morty and Holmes were pretty much the same character. Yes. It's just one of them wanted to do evil, and the other one wanted didn't to do cocaine. necessarily want to do evil. Cocaine. He wanted to do lots and he lots of cocaine. Do... Yes. And the heroin. Yeah. <laughs> and the heroin. Opium. <laughs> okay, kids, figure out which one we're talking about. <laughs> so, Star Wars. Um, Star Wars. We were talking about Star Wars. Star Wars was a good book. Oh, God. Um, it's got some, a lot of world building. It's, I think, a little too scattered. Like, they, um, they, they've got too many stories going on. They could do a Han Solo book and a Skywalker book. They're gonna. I think they just don't want to overset. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm, also I'm wondering if they, they're wanting to start out slow to see if there's interest and not oversaturate it and make it like the X-Men. Uh, and, like, have, you know, like, 50 books under one thing. Though they, they could because it's Star Wars. Yeah, there might be some small interest in Star Wars. I hear it's popular. I, it yeah. seems like, you know, there's a few things. I've seen some toys uh, and, um, you know, some costumes at the Comic-Cons. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, just, you know, real diehard yeah. fans. One of the three uh, fist fights I've been in my life, one of them has been over a Star Wars toy. So, <laughs> I'm just saying. You should have shared the Ewok Village. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, I don't even want, want to cool. tell you how many Star Wars Legos we have in my direct line of sight right now. <laughs> I don't. I have my 12-inch Han Solo and Carbonite right in front of me right now. <laughs> you know that there is a reason why we Solo in every episode of Firefly. Is he part of the ship? No, the the Han Solo and Carbonite mm-hmm. is in every episode. Yeah. They snuck it somewhere in the background. Did not know that. I didn't know that either. I know either. Now I have to go watch it. But scattered book. Yes. 
Weird. Uh, and yeah, I don't like the Han Solo wife thing, though it is kind of interesting. I feel like, like they're really dragging it out. I, I, yeah. I'm kind of biased when I hate the character, but she is interesting. So, but I wish she was just not that. But <laughs> if she was a different character, not that, I'd be fine. But you don't mess with my Han, and so therefore <laughs> like, I'm gonna hate her on default. You know, she she showed up like at the last <laughs> panel of a book and was like, "I'm your wife," and now we've had I don't know three issues maybe of them having conversations that could just be solved with one sentence. It's like yeah. they're in like a bad Three's Company episode. You know? Yes, and they're in like, they're, they only have like four pages in the book. Yeah. yeah. Because they're telling, like, they've got the C-3PO and Chewbacca story, and there's the Luke Skywalker trapped on a planet story, and then there's the Han Solo story. I mean, if you look at the structure of the movies... When they did that. There's only 20... Freaking pages. I mean, if you look at the movies, although you'll have multiple characters in places having stories going at the same time, like especially like an yeah. empire, you know. So I mean, that's, that's not fine. that's not totally. But, I'm sure that's not an accident. You know? But there were you know three hours to tell the story. True. True. And you can only fit so much stuff into a page before you get you know called Marvel in the late eighties. So when I originally was telling you about the, the Star Wars series and that you needed to read it, you went crazy over the art. Since then, they've, yes, had, a, John yeah, they've had a change of artist, which yes. until I made my list, to be honest, I, I didn't, didn't notice. notice okay. Because it's still good. It's still good. <laughs> All right. We're on the same page. I still like the artist <laughs> on both Vader and on, on straight Star Wars. And I, I haven't read Lando because Lando's – I don't care. No, dude. It's okay. Lando. Lando's good. Lando's good. I haven't like, either. Really? The, the thing, saying I don't care about the character. Okay, Lobot. Mm. Lobot, I Lobot want is... a fucking Lobot book. Lobot, maybe. I might care about Lobot. There's a lot of Lobot. It's just, Lando's just been Billy D. Williams in Star Wars. <laughs> well, that is a 100% accurate <laughs> description. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. And is there anything well, wrong okay. with that? To be fair, if I like Samuel Jackson in anything, then I should like Williams and stuff. But that's mm-hmm. kind of how I feel about the Iron Man. I'm like, it's not Robert Downey Jr., and that's who I really want. Well, but the thing is, Robert Downey Jr. is an example of perfect casting. Yes. Yeah. Yes, is Tony Stark. Yeah. I just wish he looked in this new smarter. issue. I wish he actually looked more like or maybe he RGJ. Um, <laughs> they, they've been trying to draw him that way. Yeah. So, uh, Going away from, from Star Wars, back into another corner of the Marvel Universe that's been on screen. <laughs> well, because we're going into Guardians of the Galaxy, which was also totally badass. So we have... Uh, I am Groot. Groot. Yeah, Groot number five. The next section is just all of us going, I am Groot. <laughs> I am Groot. As well you should. Good, good reviews, guys. Moving on. No. <laughs> Groot number five <laughs> from Marvel Comics. Um, uh, written by uh, Jeff Loveless. Uh, art by Brian Kessinger. Uh, Carissa? So, yeah, everyone knows I love Groot. Got a license plate and everything. Um, so, I Alphonse just... has a Groot license plate? Alphonse has an iHeart Groot license plate, didn't you hear? I. So, first of all, Mantron. I don't know. I love Mantron. Mantron was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I... and is that. Was that the robot from Black Hole? I couldn't remember, but I'm just like, I love him. I, I like, this is like the best part. No, no, not Mantron. The one that Mantron fell in love oh, with. Oh, the one Mantron fell, oh, who was that? That one, I forget his name. 
I don't know, but I was like, this is the best thing ever. And at the end with the little Dosk disc, I was like, it's a floppy. That's so cute. But yeah, um, he's like, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. I was going to say, it's it's really funny. He was like trying to load like his combat programs by loading in all the floppy disks. <laughs> I, I kind of remember those days. It's it's funny. <laughs> it really is. I first installed Windows 95 off of three and a half. <laughs> yeah. Like 30 of them. <laughs> So, yeah, I think Mantron and, and the other robots kind of stole this issue. Um, I did... No, it's hard not to. What? It's hard not to. Yeah. Well, yes, like, I really, I don't love the artwork most of the time, especially when he's little Groot running around, the tiny, tiny, I mean, he's cute, but I don't like him as much. When he gets, when they, ha- when they uh, supercharge him, I like that style better, but... It's always been, it was the same problem with Rocket for a while. Like I just didn't like the artwork. Like Rock- Rocket's always suffered from a inconsistent artwork. Yeah. Well, like if you look at like Rocket in this issue, he looks more like a wolf to me. <laughs> it's like or like he, he does. Look like- yes, he does. He looks like a wolf, an otter, a badger, a fox. He very rarely looks like a raccoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would be okay if he looked like a fox. No. Yeah. Oh. Raccoon, raccoons like, are so. Oh, I want that. I mean, raccoons are so rare. Where could you possibly find a reference photo no. for yeah. your drawing? I mean, it's you know, you might as well be looking for Atlantis. Groot. <laughs> Look outside. So yeah, <laughs> there are. There's been issues of Groot which I think have have had stronger stories. This one wasn't as compelling to me, except for Mantron, unfortunately. And, you know, I mean, I I'll keep reading it. I love Groot, but... Did you like the, uh, the scrolls? I thought that was... I liked the... the scrolls were awesome. You're a super scroll? Oh, yeah, that... <laughs> the super scroll part was super cute. He's like, I don't know, am I? You don't do <laughs> I don't this? Know. I just... I, I thought this was another good example of, like, character design, you know? Now, no attacking Earth. Yeah. So, I mean, there were parts that were funny and great, but other parts I felt, I was like, the story I was like, mm. it was a lot of one-liners that I liked. But, but since it's for a younger audience, or it tends to skew that way, I guess, I guess it works that way. But, like, this this issue in particular just wasn't one of my favorites of that su- of the series so far. Except for, like, the parts I already mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> um I was going, another Marvel book uh, this week, um, was 1602 Witch Hunter Angela. Um, Christina? Yes. I did want to say something about Brian Kessinger, the guy who does the artwork for Groot, because I actually am a fan of his. He does write, he is, he works for Walt Disney. He does do very kid-like things. He's worked like Winnie the Pooh, Wreck-It Ralph. He's worked on a lot of those kind of things. So yeah, his artwork is definitely geared towards kids. Which I found it. Now that you say that, it does seem like Rocket looks very Disney in this issue. So he does. He does. He does. He does a lot of um, artwork for Disney. He also does his own work, but a lot of it right now, especially, is Disney related. So it does. It really looks like a Disneyfied version of Groot. Yeah. And of Rocket. So I like him, uh, but yeah, it 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 does. It looks like Disney made him do it. And like. And, like, the big adult Groot, I love that style. Like, that drawing in that issue where Groot is big, I like how yeah. that looks. It's the rest of it that's kind of like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so moving on. 
So, uh, sixteen oh two, Witch Hunter, Angela, uh, written by Marguerite Bennett uh, and Karen Gillan, uh, art by Stephanie Hans and Cody Chamberlain. So this is issue four. I have been a fan. So sad. What? <laughs> this issue four. It was so damn sad. It was. It's it's sad, but it's cute. I mean, I love. I I actually I love the artwork in this one. This oh my god, the artwork is beautiful. Beautiful. It's so beautiful. I mean, really, even if you don't care about the story, just look at the artwork. It's gorgeous. The Enchantress and her, like, the fight scenes, all of that always looks, it just, it looks perfect. It's, I mean, it's all, you're going, they're going into to the fairy realm. So it's supposed to look very ethereal and pretty and different. And I, I thought they did a great, a great job of it. I really appreciate the artwork in this book. I appreciate the story because, I mean, the story is all, it's all Shakespeare. It's all, you know, all that time period. And they do it well. I love that this was like, it's like a mashup of like Hamlet and Midsummer's Night's Dream, all kind of in some weird, weird way. Um, this book surprised me. For a 1602 book. Yes. I really wish that they would do like an imprint. It was 1602 book. And then, like, I was actually not looking not... forward to the series because I've never really liked Angela. You know, I just made, made, it never made sense to me when after she left Spawn, that universe. And but so I wasn't really looking forward to reading this, and I was so surprised. Like, I really, really dug it. So, I had a. So, do you understand why? Why I dug why? it? No, 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 no. Why she's in Marvel? Now. <laughs> yes, we've had this conversation. Well, not on here, but we've had this. Com- I've had this conversation with people. Yeah. Okay. So to the viewing audience, listening, she's listening. actually a Neil Gaiman character, and Neil Gaiman brought her over to Marvel because yeah. he had this like twenty-year-long or fifteen-year-long lawsuit with Todd Isaac McFarlane. <laughs> Ooh! So she got pulled out of Spawn, and then they just kind of crammed her in. I have I read like the first couple Guardians books where she showed up, yeah, me too. and I haven't read anything with her in it since then. Mm-hmm. I've heard that she's somehow Thor's sister because. Why not? Yeah. Um, that was kind of weird. This is like the next, like, Angela thing I read. And I'm like, is the middle stuff as good as this? Because this was really good. So I did not, just like Carissa, I do not care, or I should say did not care uh, about Angela, had zero interest in reading this. And Christina uh, kept on it, uh, telling me that it was great. And I went back and read one issue just so I could, you know, say I read it, give it, gave it a shot, and I immediately read all three issues and loved it. Uh, no, because I did read number four the next month, but so I read all three in one sitting, um, and it was fantastic. Um, I don't know if I love the characters yet, but that this book, if you don't give, or if you don't care about Angela, you should still read this book because it is fantastic. Like, I think for me, because I love, like I was saying, I love Shakespeare, and then, like, I'm, like, my other big nerd thing, I love role-playing games, and I'm really into Changeling right now from White Wolf, and so I'm like, oh my god, Changeling! What? Lost. Real Changeling or something they've done recently? Changeling the Lost. Which is way better. And I'm like... Bullshit, man. The new Changeling is superior... So you're going to see a lot of our, our nerd flags coming out. It's the darkest. It's the darkest World of Darkness setting. It is awesome. Have they actually explained Changelings better? Yeah. Because they failed yes. at that in the original. Oh, no, they did. I, so, 
pick it up. Just like getting into mage, like just don't. But this well, mage is hard. If mage I was, was hard. a gateway drug into comics from role playing game people who play Changeling the Lost, I would give them this book. It, I've, it, I've, I've only played the original Changeling, and not, I mean, we had, it was fun, but oh, it, it was Lost is nothing like new, Yeah, nothing. So the new. This is a real tangent here, but Sorry, so the yeah. new queen. When when I say new, changeling, uh, the loss is several years old. But the okay. basic idea is that children get kidnapped, uh, taken into the fairy world, uh, horribly abused and mistreated. Um, they become like their captor, and then they escape in some way into the real world. But there are like fairy hit squads or kidnappers after them again to to find Ooh. them and drag them back it's really yeah it's it gets really dark really really dark it's like a real i think they're really going for like an abuse uh metaphor with the story yeah, it is yeah. kind of messed up which is what makes it it's not called the world of sunshine it's the world right. of darkness darkness yeah well yeah but it that was a dark. huge tangent from angela <laughs> it is really but, this, but i was reading it and that's exactly I mean, you saw if anyone's on my facebook you saw me post a picture of the cover of this book and i put this is so so changeling. That because that was the, the immediate thought I had. <laughs> I agree, and I also thought that it was a really good D and D adventuring party. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it, yes, yeah, exactly. Because wouldn't you totally take your friend's skull if it was singing and that was the bard? Like you were like, I'm I'm totally gonna hang on to this. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna take this with me. Um, the story at the end. Did anyone hey, just? Did anyone just freak the fuck out about the Iron Man? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I felt like, hey! Yes. Well, see, that was so, funny because there is an Iron Man in 1602. Does it look like that? Because I have not read the no. original 1602. It looks kind of like uh, uh, like Mark One. Okay. I thought that, that was, that was it kind of, it was like a Mark One crossed with an Iron Maiden, I thought. So, exactly, uh, yeah, because the head looks like the Mark One. No, but, so, yeah. so, uh... So why don't why don't you so explain the, the uh... book, go ahead? So in the sixteen oh two books, uh, Tony Stark is a Spaniard who and Tony like health. I can't Stark? remember. Yeah, yeah Antoine. Uh, he's got um, not Antoine. <laughs> Antonio. Um, Antonio. He kind of looks like a Nico Montoya. Um, he's got basically he kind of is, um, but he he's kind of like the Man in the Iron Mask mixed with uh, Don Quixote. Uh, Mixed with just kind of like, um, not steampunk, but uh, what would you call 1600s? Um, Baroque punk? <laughs> um, oh, no. it, he made this like suit of armor um, that was powered by like lightning he's keeping in jars, which is basically the, you know, kind of like his arc reactor. Um, so it, it's this kind of mishmash, but the thing is like this big, huge. Uh, cobbled together thing. He's never really refined it down to something smaller like Iron Man does in the modern comics. So it's this big thing and he's got a sidekick that helps him keep the thing running because if it stops, he dies. Just like Eric Bactor, like, yeah. Much like, like, like Tony Stark. Yeah. yeah. Or Anthony Stark. So the um, the Iron Man in the Angela book um, is a torture device. Yes. yes. Is the Iron so Maiden. Why don't you explain the full gruesomeness and awesome use of the Iron Maiden. Well, so if you're, I mean, if you're Shakespeare, you're probably also familiar with Philip Marlowe, who was another writer at that time period. If you're not, he was, by the way. And they were also competing writers. Um, So it's kind of fascinating that uh, 
<laughs> I guess Sarah, I, I guess he is a, Fa- a Faustian. So There's also um, a lot of talk that uh, Shakespeare plagiarized uh, Marlowe. Yeah. So this kind so of ties into we're going to go into right now. So much even better. So he is the, um, he gets to go into the Iron Man slash Maiden. Uh, and the, I love <laughs> the Iron, the, basically the arc reactor and the Iron Man. This is, is a blood capsule. It's basically where the blood goes through the Iron Man. I keep wanting to say a Maiden because it is an Iron Maiden, but it is an Iron Man slash Maiden. So the blood, yes, I'm putting you in the Iron Maiden, but it's a man. So the blood is then collected and used by Shakespeare. He has no idea what he's writing with. He's like, I don't want to know what this is. He doesn't know. He has no idea. It's just ink. That's like my, I like, I love the ending actually the best. I thought it was like a Twilight Zone kind of uh, ending. Yeah. It was really good and creepy and you know has like fairy tales are both you know fantastical and light but they also have this like dark element to it yeah and exactly you got I mean, that, both. I was like, this book took me completely by surprise like i loved it but it's i read it kind of sideways <laughs> i read the first one and i didn't and, like it oh and i read the third one and i liked it and I went back to read the second one and read the third one again and then i read the fourth one <laughs> the, we the all find our own <laughs> The beauty of this is, though, is that the whole story, I mean, it, honestly, they could almost wrap it up here, is because he wrote, using the blood, the story of Angela, which is the Midsummer's Night's, it's a Midsummer, it's, it's a dream of Midsummer Eve, which is Midsummer's Night's dream. Yeah. So he right. actually wrote that. And I the also end, was thinking, go ahead. Oh, and the end, the end panel, I love who you see who's in there. The care. I mean, they bring back the guardians to play the characters. Oh, the guardians were cool. Yeah. Wait. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. On the stage, yes. Yes. Because they're traveling. Which so it was really fun reading that because I read that after I got home from Ren Fair. <laughs> and I have friends who um, do this like uh, like all of Sherlock's plays in fifteen minutes. Oh wow. Yeah. Sherlock. Shakespeare. Yeah. Shakespeare. I was like Sherlock. I was like that's different, but okay. No, there's a, one of their jokes is about Shylock. Okay. And they're like, that's Sherlock, you twit. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I read that after I got back home from Renfair, so it was, like, perfect. I, yeah, I could I... literally see a series of just them doing that. I could, if they would do that, if they make the next 1602 Guardians, I think they yes. should. So I, good. Yeah, it was a really strong, uh, book. We, you, you mentioned, uh, the new, uh, Iron Man, which was another one of my uh, choices uh, this week, which was, uh, I thought, a pretty strong contender for uh, Pick of the Week if I hadn't gone uh, the other way. So, Invincible Iron Man number one uh, from Marvel Comics, uh, written by uh, Brian Michael Bendis. I think I'm saying that right. Um, yeah. <laughs> art by uh, David Marquez. Um, to me, this book, um, there's some books that are like really good at dialogue, some books that are really good at action. Some that are good at character development, some that are good at comedy. Um, I felt like this book um, was really good at all of them, which is pretty rare in my my opinion. And I thought, like art wise, um, there are like tons of striking images, 
like we get uh, Iron Man flying, we get Madam Mask, uh, like basically falling out of a building and firing her guns at people. Um, so we get big like action scenes with and the. She art. has a new mask. It actually like kind of like shows her face. I didn't compare it Madam to. Madam Mask has this like <laughs> gold, yeah. gold face. Yeah. So. The other, like, the art, though, I mean, it has it has depth because you get – you also get, like – and this is with, it's true with the writing. Like, we have the action scenes, but then to me, the absolute best part of the book is when Tony goes on his date with this, uh, you know, brilliant uh, doctor that is basically having none of his, uh, his, his shenanigans. That she's, she's not falling for it. She's not um, – you know, it, it's not working on her. Um, but she's, she's super brilliant. Um, and has uh, a, a secret that will, you know, will, will shake the Marvel universe to its to its foundations. Um, bum, 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 bum. Yeah. So she basically tells Tony what she's discovered, um, and then there's this part where Tony then launches into all these things that she hasn't even considered. You know, for how like her defense was basically, well, I haven't written it down. And he's like, well, what about psychics? What about, you know, he just starts listing all of these things that have never occurred to her because he's he's so much more experienced in the world and has dealt with so many more things that, you know, normal people, not that, you know, your super geniuses are, are normal necessarily, but, you know, your non-superhero person is not experienced. So I thought that was kind of nice to show his, his depth of experience. Um and that that whole scene is about it's about four four or five pages of them just talking back and forth, which is kind of Bendisy talking. Um, I don't know if that's an actual uh, uh, <laughs> adverb, you know, but or adjective, it but it is now. <laughs> uh, but they intercut it with uh, action scenes of like Madame Mass going around and uh, stealing all of this stuff for for something. We don't know what she's building or designing yet, but she's doing something. So you get, you know, page of really awesome dialogue, page of some pretty cool action, then some dialogue. So it cuts back and forth, so neither one gets kind of repetitive. Um, so it's it's really, really strong, and then it has a really awesome reveal uh, at the end um, that because Secret Wars is not over yet left me with a lot of questions. But it was one of the one of the times when you get to the end of a book, and I was I was genuinely surprised um, by the end. Yeah. Um, the armor is kind of enough uh, movie crossed with modern Iron Man-ish look crossed with Ultimate Iron Man. Yeah, like they had one scene where it's like that heads-up display that you see in the movies. Um, they threw that in there. Um, I didn't really the, think the, that was... The helm this... is a little inspired by the Ultimate look because it had this kind of like wedge shape and this yeah. without the mouth. And this one has that same kind of overall pointy wedge shape to it. So, I mean, I, like most people, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar enough with Iron Man just through osmosis and, you know, having read comics for way too many years. Um, but I haven't really liked him since mm, Civil War, where I think that they really kind of cranked up his level of um, douchebag. Yeah. Um, to a level that to me made him not a, a sympathetic or compelling character. But here... I think they've kind of dialed that back a little bit. Um, like he is still arrogant and he's, you know, Tony, the womanizer, you know, smooth talker, you know, rich billionaire that he has always been. But 
I, I felt like he had a genuine concern for the world and went out to, I don't know, far more heroic, I thought, than previous things that I've seen. So, I mean, the book to me was just, it hit on every everything that you want from a superhero comic book, this one delivered. And um, the coloring on this book, um, it's one of the few times I've really noticed how good the coloring on a book is. Like, that book felt so, also with Angela, um, both of those books felt so like lush, and um, they had they had a, just a depth in them. They felt um, not necessarily like like drawings. They felt very very rich and lifelike to me. And I think the coloring had a lot to do with both of those books. Yeah, I would agree. Did uh, so. I think that is most of the books that we had. Um, there was yeah. Um, there was a Spider-Man book that came out this week. Um, I was not. A- yeah, there was. Yeah, well, I say Spider-Man, but really it should have been the other Iron Man book. But the Spider-Verse book. Yeah, I, I don't know. The, the uh, Invincible Spider-Man. It was, I don't know, just a premise that I am not really crazy about. Um, it wasn't done badly, but it just, I don't know. It's how do you rate an idea you don't like that's done well enough? I mean. I don't know. I, I wasn't super into this one. Um, Spider-Man suffers from the Superman disease. They're not going to not publish a Spider-Man book. True. So they're they're putting it out there, and it makes no logical sense that Peter Parker is poor. It doesn't make any sense at all. He's brilliant. He's not in the top like yeah, but ten minds. That's but he's number eleven. I mean and that I that's me. That he realizes that. He's number 11 with these people who make shit like Iron Man's armor and can shrink down to you know like molecular sizes or turn themselves into a giant green behemoth or travel through time. He's number 11 on that list. It's... And he's a freaking photographer for a tabloid. That is stupid. That's part of his charm though that he has that that's the part that i like about him i like him being the poor guy who nothing can work out with because he does have all of these amazing capabilities super strong super fast super smart all that great inventor but he can't use any of those for his own personal benefit because he's so busy saving for spider-man's benefit either so you sound you sound a lot like doc hawk you sound a lot like the superior Spider-Man, my friend. <laughs> you're, you're, you're sticking Dan Slot near me, and that's just rude. Hey, I'm going to wave that. No, but I'm not saying that he's going to go make, you know, a suit of armor, though he kind of did do that with the Iron Spider. But, and I'm not saying he goes all vicious or anything like that. It's just everybody's complaining that he's, you know, used his brain to, to make a little bit of money, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. And it's not like they're... And this is, again, the stupid Secret Wars thing. I'm like, it's not... It's like nothing happened. It's like basically Marvel said, you know what, guys? Pause for six months. We're going to go tell some really bad story, and you'll be back, and we're just going to pretty much if you pick want, up where we left off. They weren't all bad. Changed a few there were some good Spider-Man Lola stories Angela's in there. A good book. Mm-hmm. Renew Your Vows was good. Very good. Renew your the couple issues were in your vows that I read were good, but it's not really a book I cared about. Uh, it, but it didn't do anything. We're literally picking right back up, but they get to do issue ones. 
so my big thought when I was reading this book is they were trying so damn hard to make that spider buggy car thing cool. It is not cool. It will never be cool. I am offended that they want me to think it is cool. It is fucking stupid. The Spider-Man, whose whole power revolves around mobility, has a car. That is dumb. Has legs like a spider. Yeah. Well, if you have um, a child who... And Mockingbird, because that makes sense. I saw there can that kind of interplay it was a little interesting, but I don't know. I just overall, it's, it's, it's I would not. From the perspective of he's basically taken over Marvel Stark's job is, of is... supplying things to Shield. But why yeah. did he? Marvel is kind of like this this bitch goddess that gives with one hand and takes with the other. Like it knows, like you said earlier, it knows I'm going to buy Spider Man. I'm going to. So they don't. Sometimes you get a good one. Sometimes you get this, and it doesn't really matter because next week I'm putting down my three ninety nine or whatever you know the cover price for it is, and I'm buying the next Spider Man. So as much as we can bitch about it, they they got us. And uh, they're like, I will put a halfway decent writer. Yeah. Uh, which you know is about what they gave, and I will give a halfway decent artist. Yeah. Uh, and for the first eight issues, and then you're stuck with shit. Yes. Because you know what? You're going to buy it. You are going to buy it. Peter Parker. It's like a big box that arrives at your house and you, you know, it's in a big wooden box, all mysterious, you know, and you sign for it because you're super excited to get this gift. And then you open it and it's like a porta potty inside. I think it's a box of turds. It's a box of turds. Yes. You're stuck with a giant pile of shit. So, you're like excited about the box for a little bit. But you don't know why. Yeah. Because it's a box of turds. <laughs> but it was a game. Yeah. It was, it was a game. So, so you accepted. <laughs> it was a free box of shit. Well, this box of shit costs three ninety nine. So. Yeah. Exactly. You know what? I could have had a new computer in this box. Nope. Could have. Could have. Could have. Didn't. Boxes nope. Bunch of inside. spider shit. <laughs> shit inside. So, so those were the books we read this week. Uh, to read our reviews, uh, you can go to our uh, our webpage, uh, fourcolornerds.com. We've got our pull lists on there. Uh, we've got other uh, nerd things on there um, that you can check out. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Um, come back next week. Um, Christina will have the, the pick next week. Um, and until then, uh, keep reading, nerds. All right, but seriously, fuck Gungans. Goddamn Star Wars, who the hell's putting that in there?